0: Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter four? So, if you're new with us, welcome. And we just wanted you to kind of get an idea of what we're doing here. We are studying the book of Philippians, doing it topically. The theme is joy. So, we're looking at all the places where joy is mentioned throughout the book. So far, we've done six joy in fellowship, joy in proclaiming the gospel, joy of faith, joy in unity. Joy in service, joy in the Lord. And the seventh and final one in our series, a series we're calling A Journey in Joy Through Philippians. So pray about our next study. But the seventh and final topic we are going to look at is joy in giving. So I want to read to you verses 10 to 20, but I'm going to read it out of the NLT. It comes through a little clearer for our purposes this morning. So Paul said, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live in need, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether with plenty or little, through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the gospel and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't know uh, I don't say this because I want a gift from you, rather I want you to I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. From his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. So, here Paul is thanking them for the generous gifts of money that they had given to him over the years to help him in his ministry. Let me just say up front, guys, that giving to God is a subject that permeates the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, and is tied to the blessings of God. You know, the Bible likens giving to God to the sowing of seeds in a field. If you sow sparingly, well, you're going to reap sparingly. And if you sow or if you give generously, you will reap an abundant harvest in heaven someday. So it is good to give to God, but only when it's done out of the right heart. That's the issue. Now, having said that, this morning... I want to look at the subject of giving to God, starting with wrong giving and then looking at what's involved in right giving to God. And when you give to God out of the right heart with the right motives, well, it does bring great joy into your life. So there is joy in giving, but you have to do it the right way. So turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you will, and we'll hang out there this morning. Matthew 6, now... In this section in Matthew 6, which covers verses 1 to 18, Jesus gives three examples of hypocrisy in religious practices and then commands his disciples to practice these things not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but rather out of a right heart. And the three areas of religious practices, or three acts of um, Christian piety and devotion that Jesus zeroes in on, is giving, praying and fasting, giving, praying and fasting. Now, guys, understand, it wasn't the act of giving or praying or fasting that the Lord is condemning here. It was the wrong motives behind them, the wrong motives behind them. Let's just focus this morning on the spiritual practice of giving to God, because that's our topic in Philippians. And I want to read verses one to four of Matthew six. Where Jesus said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Don't do these things like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from a Greek word, hypocrites, which literally means mask wearer. And really it came about, uh, it was used originally of an actor, on stage playing a part so it came to mean putting on an act and pretending to be something you're not putting on an act pretending to be something you're not in fact when jesus said in verse one take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be listened seen by them the greek word for seen is a word we get the english word theater or theatrical from in other words when you do your acts of piety don't Put on a show. Don't put on a show. Do them out of the right heart, out of the right motives. Guys, it doesn't matter how well a person plays the part of a Christian. And some people deserve an Academy Award. (laughs) They really know how to play the part. Doesn't matter how well you are at playing a part. God knows the heart. He knows the heart. And when your heart isn't right, well, then all your spiritual activities and charitable deeds are worthless in his eyes. They're worthless. Now, before we look at Matthew 6, let me just lay out a kind of an introductory, some thoughts. I'm just calling these various motives behind giving. Uh, I have four here, but somebody reminded me of another one after first service. So I'll start with that because I'll forget it. Some people give to God to get power. What do I mean? Well, I've had at least one person in this church over the years, who I found out at one point was giving to God here at Calvary because he wanted a position of authority, power. He wanted to be an elder. And he was not called to be an elder. God never spoke to my heart one time. This man was a pastor. But he was giving to get that position of power. And I basically told him, you better stop giving. You're not getting blessed for it. And we're not for sale. So keep it. Number two, people give out of a sense of duty or obligation. Many people give to God not because they really want to, but because they were pressured or guilted into giving. And that's why you're never going to have a knock on your door one night, and you open it, and you see your three pastors standing there. (laughs) Shocked, you open the door, let us in, and after some brief chit-chat, we pull out a notepad, and say to you now, how much can we put you down for this year? Uh, what kind of a pledge are you going to give to the church? You didn't see that coming, right? It's the old, hum-on-a, hum-on-a, hum-on-a. Well, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to look like a cheapskate. Your pastors are s- sitting right there. And so you blurt out a number. You know how you do that, and afterwards you're thinking, I, I don't want to give that much. I-, I didn't plan on giving that much. But now you said it. And so every week when you're writing the checkout, you're grumbling and complaining. You're not doing it from a cheerful heart. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. We'll talk about that more in a moment. So you're, you were guilted into giving or uh, out of duty and obligation. Don't do that. That's not the right giving. Also, people give out of, out of a desire for personal recognition and glory. This seems to have been the chief motive of the scribes and Pharisees when they gave, for recognition. It really wasn't out of a heart of compassion to help the poor, but rather out of a selfish desire to, to glorify themselves in the eyes of people. It's what the Bible calls seeking the praise of men. Jesus did tell these Pharisees, You receive glory from one another, yet you do not seek the glory that comes from God. There are some people that are always wanting to get themselves lifted up in the spotlight, you know, uh, where everyone looks to them and they have all this honor and glory from men. The Pharisees love the chief seats in the synagogues. They love to hear people say, Oh, my great one, my great one. It was all about the show. Another motive for giving some people give out of a heart of greed. You think, out of greed? They, they give out of greed. I don't understand how that works. When a person gives to God because they've been promised, listen, a hundred-fold return. This is giving that's polluted by self-interest. In fact, it really isn't giving to God at all. It's investing in you. The giving that God looks at, that he honors, is giving to build his kingdom, not giving so that God might build their kingdom on the earth. Guys, it's greed and selfishness masquerading as kindness and generosity. And I'll give you one last one. The only motive that God accepts when we give is to give to him out of a genuine love for him and concern for others. Again, that's the only motive for giving God acknowledges and blesses. All right. Let's look at what Jesus said was, first of all, the wrong way to give. And then we'll look at what he said to follow up with the right ways. To give, Matthew 6. And first of all, we'll tackle the wrong way to give. And this first one under that heading is giving to get. Giving to get. Verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds. Let me stop there. If you didn't know a little background, you wouldn't understand where I'm going with this. All right. So let me fill you in quickly. Back then, charitable deeds often took the form of gifts of money given to the poor called alms alms some of the other translations translate this righteousness instead of charitable in other words take heed that you do not do your righteous deeds before men this is because the scribes and pharisees and others many of the jews i think most back then believed that to help the poor by giving them money was listen tantamount to purchasing righteousness and earning their salvation. And because of it, they believed that the rich had a better chance of entering into heaven than did a poor person because the rich had the resources to buy their way in. That's why when Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the literal eye of a sewing needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, their mouths hit the ground. They were shocked. Because they were always taught the more money you give to help people, the more you're earning points with God until you earn your salvation. Listen, giving to God is wrong when you give to get. When you give to get. In other words, when you give to God by, you know, and we give to God by helping others. That's the point. But when you give to God by helping others, and you do it because you want to get something from him, like the scribes and Pharisees, that you want to purchase a or earn your way into heaven, or you want that promotion that's coming up, that big promotion. So, you know, you you start really giving money to the church because you want to be on God's good side, right? You want him to think favorably of you, or you have some other blessing in mind that you want from God, so you give to God because, really, you're wanting to get something from him. It's called giving to get or giving with strings attached. Jesus said that's wrong. Secondly, giving for recognition, giving to get wrong, giving for recognition, also wrong. Verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, listen, to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And again, Jesus is not condemning the act of giving to the poor, he's condemning the wrong motive behind it. As I said earlier, helping the poor was not only a good thing to do, it was something God encourages people to do all throughout the Old Testament. You, you can read dozens and dozens of verses on this subject. I'll give you three. It was never mandatory because generosity has to be freely given. But God highly encouraged it to the point where he said, if you give to the poor, you're actually giving to me. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, he who has pity on the poor, listen, lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Proverbs twenty nine verse seven, the righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such things. No, because they're too wrapped up in themselves. Psalm forty one verse one, blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. But again, guys, the problem that Jesus was condemning in these verses wasn't in the act of helping the poor, but in the hypocritical way the scribes and Pharisees were going about it. As Jesus said, they were doing it to be seen by men. Number three, another wrong motive for giving, giving to receive glory. Now, this is kind of similar to the last one, but it's still different. Giving to receive glory. Verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, this statement by Jesus is based on something that was well known to every Jew living in and around Jerusalem in those days. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Originally, from what I understand, there was an area at the side of the temple courtyard called the Chamber of the Silent. They called it silent for a specific reason. I'm going to tell you why in a second. It was in this area uh, to the side of the temple courtyard called the Chamber of the Silent where people could go and drop off gifts designated for the poor into large metal trumpet shaped chest called the trumpet and they called it that because that's how it looked later after these offerings were given these alms were given to the poor then the poor were allowed to come and no doubt there was a priest uh, there who would dole out the money to the poor as they had need but it was all done very quietly that's what's called the the chamber of the silent it was very low key it wasn't ostentatious or the kind of thing where everyone was making a big deal out of it. People gave quietly, others came and received quietly, all very discreet, all very uh, in humility and sincerity. Unfortunately, this practice started to be corrupted by those who began to, listen, sound the trumpet. Sound the trumpet. When they put money into these trumpet-shaped metal collection boxes, how did they do that? Well, in those days the value of the money was in the coin. So they had copper coins, uh, they had silver coins, uh, gold coins, and so on. The more the coin, well, first of all, what metal it was made of determined initially what it was worth, and then by how many ounces uh, it weighed uh, determined the exact amount of what it was worth, right? So people that wanted to give a lot of money uh, into this trumpet shaped collection box, they would give larger coins that weighed more. Poor people, like we're going to see in Mark uh, 12, uh, they would give these very small coins, copper coins. They were, they were worth a penny or two and they would throw it in there. Well, they were, the word in the Greek is uh, leptin, for thin, because they were so thin and when they went into the collection box, they made no noise. Now, if a person wanted to draw attention to themselves, they would take the biggest coin they wanted to give, maybe a couple. They'd walk over and they would throw it into this metal collection box. And you know what happened. You know, bang! And all of a sudden, like, whoa! And they see you standing there. He just gave a lot of money. Wow! You know, and they get glory for that. Again, the poor, whatever they put in, nobody even noticed. Now, I don't know if they eventually moved this collection box to the court of the women. They had these trumpet-shaped collection boxes also in the court of the women. And that's where Jesus, we're going to read this in a moment, out of Mark 12. He was sitting there. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, So I don't know if they moved this one to the court of the women. Uh, In the court of the women, uh, only Jews could assemble, men and women. The next higher courtyard was the court of the Israelites, where only the Jewish men could go, and above that, the court of the priests. But any Jew could congregate in the court of the women. And that's where Jesus was in Mark 12. We'll look at that more in a moment. So initially, this chamber of the silent, very discreet, you know, giving to the poor, just very quiet, humble, sincere, and so on. As the years went on, though, the Pharisees decided that it wasn't practical to go all the way to the temple to give alms to the poor. So instead, if you can believe this, they tied a small brass or silver trumpet onto their belt. Then whenever they wanted to give to the poor in the synagogue or on the street corner, they would take the little trumpet and start to blow it. They would literally sound the trumpet. And upon hearing this, the poor people in the area would gather around this Pharisee, right? This generous Pharisee, and he would distribute his alms to the poor with great relish. He would just relish that moment while everyone stood around and said, Oh, how righteous he is. Now Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites because, you know, they gave not out of concern for the poor, but they gave more to be seen by men to receive glory from men Um, And so that's why Jesus went on to say, if that's your motive for giving to the poor, you'd better relish that moment in the spotlight, because that's the only reward you're going to get, the praise of men. You'll get nothing from God. In fact, the Greek word for reward, at the end of verse 2, was a business or commercial term for receiving payment in full. In other words, it was considered in the eyes of God a finished transaction, a done deal. So if you're going to give out of that motive, which is what Jesus is saying, for people to ooh and on ah wow, and you're a wonderful person, look how spiritual you are, you better relish that moment because in God's eyes it's a, it's a finished transaction. It's a done deal. You're going to get nothing more from him. Now, guys, it's fairly easy to see how this parallels with giving today and the way some ministers encourage people to give to God. Maybe you've seen services like that. I saw one on TV. Years ago, this happens all the time though, where at the end of the service, the preacher said, now we'd like to take a collection for the work of God. It's always for the work of God. Even though the guy's driving a Mercedes there, he's out in the parking lot with his BMW parked. It's always for the work of God. If I can have a little for me, why not? (laughs) So anyone here that will give a $1,000 stand up right now, I've seen it. This happens a lot. If you could give $1,000 to the work of God, stand up right now, please. Now, I don't know how many people stand up in these services. I turned it off. But I can imagine if somebody or a couple of people stood up, the whole audience would go, wow, $1,000. They're going to give $1,000 to God tonight. Jesus said, you better really enjoy that wow moment. Because that's all you're getting. You're going to get nothing else from God. Better enjoy it, right? We had a couple in the church years ago who came from one of these churches. They were an African-American couple, and they were tired of the constant talk about money. And so they came to our church because they wanted to study the Bible. It's a novel idea, but okay. So they told me a story I've never forgotten at their church when they left to come to ours they had tables set up all around the perimeter of the sanctuary with signs on them $2 $5 $10 I don't know, $25 $50 maybe a 100 possibly a 1000 and when the time came for the offering to be taken they actually had to get up out of their seats and go stand by one of these tables everybody knew what they were giving now, if you were poor, you only give God a couple dollars, but that was a lot for you. People just thought you were a cheapskate. Nobody paid attention. But people that stood by the hundred-dollar table, that was a big deal. People made, a, and don't forget the don't think the elders didn't take notice, because people that gave the most get the most, you know, attention in churches like that. What is that but a modern version of sounding the trumpet. I was telling First Service that in the 40-some years I've been in ministry, there have been numerous times over the years when I've stepped up to the pulpit and I've seen an envelope on the pulpit. I didn't know who it was from. I could tell there was money inside. And on the envelope was written the name of a person in our church that was struggling. Sometimes I didn't even know they were going through hard times. That's why small groups are such a blessing. Uh, A smaller group, you know each other better. You know what's going on in each other's lives. You're praying for one another. And if there's a need, you know that. And you can share it with the leaders or you can come together as a, as a group and help that person. So sometimes it was for a, a person who had a need and I didn't even know they had a need. But I had the privilege of seeking them out, handing them the envelope and saying, I don't know who this is from. I know there's money in it. And they wanted you to have it. Completely quiet nobody knew who it was that gave it right to me that's precious in the heart in the sight of god so those are some of the wrong ways to give that jesus puts his finger on here in matthew six then he moves on to talk about the right ways to give so verse three he said but when you do a charitable deed do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Interesting statement by Jesus that when you help somebody in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Of course, in saying this, he wasn't speaking literally. I like what Pastor John Stott said on this verse. He said, and I quote, there is no difficulty in grasping his meaning. Not only are we not to tell other people about our Christian giving, there is a sense in which we are not even to tell ourselves. We are not to be self-conscious in our giving, for our self-consciousness will readily deteriorate into self-righteousness. So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it is possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from men others while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self-congratulation end quote so look you have people that give because they want attention they want praise from people others their pride's a lot more subtle they give quietly because they don't want people making a big deal but they make a big deal about it in their own heart you know I am a pretty good guy. I mean, you know, here I worked all that overtime this week and I took that money and I gave it to God. Lord, you're so blessed to have me on your team. They may not put it that way. But let's be honest, right? It's hard not to pat ourselves on the back when we do something nice for somebody. Even if we don't announce it. Be careful. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap of praising ourselves. Even if we don't want the praise of men, right? Now, the whole subject of um, giving has turned off a lot of people today. Why is that? Because it's been so abused. It's been so abused. You can't turn on Christian radio or television without constantly being bombarded by preachers who want to separate you from your money. All in the name of helping God do His work on the earth. I've always maintained that if God is broke and needs my help to do His work on the earth, He isn't much of a God. However, this is how many in ministry portray God today and then use manipulation, pressure, and guilt to push people into giving to Him to the point that, well, it's turned off many to the whole idea of giving to God And in some cases, it's turned off people from going to church at all. Because some churches make a constant, constantly haranguing people for money. Guys, I believe where God guides, he provides. I learned that from my pastor, but I've kept it in my heart all these years because I really believe it myself. Where God guides, he provides. So I never feel like I need to put pressure on anyone to help give to the work of God or else it's going to come to a screeching halt. I've actually heard guys on TV say those very words. Now listen, we're doing a great work for God. If you don't send your money in, this great work for God is going to come to a screeching halt. You know what I say? If I'm ever watching a show like that anymore, good, let it come to a stop. Because any work that needs my money to keep it going is not a work of God. And therefore, if it's a work of man, I don't want it out there. because it's not going to bring God glory. It's going to bring man glory. Look, God is a big enough God to provide for his work. You don't want to help in the work of God? You don't want to give? Great. That's up to you. God will find somebody else. And they'll get the blessings, not you. But he's not dependent on you and I for anything he wants to do. But you know what? Countless high-powered TV preachers and celebrity pastors today are working overtime giving people the impression that God does need their money. God does need their money so that the precious work of God can continue around the world. You know what it means? God needs their money to do His work. I mean, give your money to our ministry. We'll make sure it gets to the work of God. Yeah, right. This has caused many elderly saints who are on a fixed income Maybe shut-ins, can't get out anymore. Their only connection with the church is on TV. And so they pull up these services, you know. And you got some charlatan doing this very thing. And he comes across as a real man of God. And they believe he's a real, sincere man of God, not a con man, which he really is. And so he guilt's them, or maybe not even guilt's them, but he shows them, you know, pictures of children in Africa, and how they're over, there helping these kids, and teaching them how to read, and write, and starting schools, and a lot of times it comes out, it's all baloney, it's all baloney, they, you know, they went over there for some photo ops, but they're not doing any of that, really, it's fraud, but, you know, this Older person on a fixed income is watching this and their tears are running down their eyes. So they take their last 10 bucks on Social Security, their last 10 bucks, and they send it to the TV preacher's ministry. And then they got to live on on hot dogs for the next two weeks. Or even dog food, I've heard. While this guy is living in the lap of luxury, eating in the finest restaurants. I would not want to be in his shoes on the Day of judgment. What is wrong with you? There's no fear of God in your heart? You don't fear God? I mean, how deceived are you that you think you can rip people off and you're not going to have to answer for it someday? It's amazing. Let me say it again. God doesn't need our money. Full stop. God doesn't need our money. Then why do we give it? Because we need to give it we need to give it I don't know about you but I'm selfish I think a lot about me and when you have children it forces you to be a little less selfish because they demand so much of your time energy and resources and when you start focusing on others and helping the poor it helps you get out of yourself a little more that's why it's good If I just hoard everything for me it's all I do is think about me and and give to me and and do what i want and so on giving helps us to be less selfish stop thinking of giving to god in terms of helping god and start thinking of it in terms of growing me as an opportunity to die to self and grow in christ now having said all that it's a big subject we'll have to pick it up next week but having said all that let me finish this morning by giving you some other principles that revolve around right giving. I'll just throw these out. These were not ones Jesus brought up in the Sermon on the Mount, but they're in his word in different places, okay? Let me fire these off quickly. Principles, more principles of right giving. First of all, giving has to be willing, not coerced. We already talked about this. Giving has to be willing, not coerced. You can write these references down. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, "For I testify that they gave not only what they could afford." So he's talking about the churches uh, in northern Greece, Macedonia in those days. He's writing to Corinth, church down there in southern Greece called Achaia back then. And Paul was mentioning how that the saints in Macedonia, Philippi, uh, was in Macedonia. They don't have, they have anything; they're poor. But they heard that the saints in Jerusalem were suffering a severe famine. And so they wanted to help. And Paul's talking about this. He said, let me testify about their generosity. Not only They gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Paul was taking up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. He thought this would be a great way for Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians to come together. The Gentile Christians who owed the Jewish Christians a lot. The Jews were keepers of the word for many centuries. Messiah came through them. The world is much to thank the Jews for. And now they were the first to get saved and the word is going out in Jerusalem and has affected Gentiles in many other parts of the Gentile world. Look, what a great way to show them how much we love them and appreciate them. Let's get a collection together and I'll take it back to Jerusalem to help these poor people. They're, they're destitute. And Paul's talking about this. And he's basically saying, look, the churches north of you, Macedonia, were poor and couldn't afford to give to those suffering famine in and around Jerusalem. But they pleaded with us. To take their money. I don't know if this has ever happened since then. I've never seen it in my life. Nobody in 43 years of ministry has ever come up to me and begged me to take their money. Please take my money. Actually, you don't have to say please. I'll take it. We never asked for it, and nobody's ever said, please take it. But they did back then because Paul said, You're poor. I don't want to take from you. To help poor people in Jerusalem. You don't have anything really. You're barely making it. They begged Paul. No, no, no. God will take care of us. But we want to help. We want to help these people. We want to be a part of the work of God. That's what Paul's saying. It was all willingly though, right? Giving is going to be right. It has to be done willingly. Not can't be coerced. Number two. Listen to me now. You may You may not understand initially what I'm saying. Please don't. Jump to any conclusion. Number two, under principles of right giving. Generous giving is good. Sacrificial giving is better. Turn to Mark 12. And again, let me tell you what was going on. Jesus at this point is sitting with his disciples in the court of the women. And again, in the court of the women, they had set up these trumpet-shaped collection boxes, but they were actually metal trumpets. And he's just sitting there watching. How people are giving. You don't think the Lord Jesus Christ is still watching? How people are giving today? How they're serving the Lord? Our giving is not always money. It could be our time. It could be something else. But Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped. Now these were Jews. Only Jews were allowed in the court of the women. And he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. How did he know that? Because when the coin hit the trumpet, depending on how loud the bang was, how big the coin was. Many rich people put in large amounts. But then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. The word is leptin for thin, very thin coins. Probably a couple of copper coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Guys, generosity in giving is good. I try and my wife, we try to give generously to God every week. And by that, I simply mean we give out of our surplus. But in giving out of our surplus, we've never missed a meal. We've never had to not do something we really wanted to do. We give out of our surplus and nothing wrong with that. I don't want you to think that I'm saying giving out of generosity is bad. Only giving sacrificially is good. I'm not saying that I'm saying one is good, the other is better. The other is better. And the reason giving sacrificially is better is because sacrificial giving, listen, costs us something to give. It costs us something to give. It teaches us to put others above ourselves to the point where we go without to meet their need. So this widow was putting in everything she had for that week. She had no money to buy bread. She she gave everything. Well, how did she survive? God took care of her, I'm sure. God took care of her. But when you give out of that kind of sacrificial heart, you you tend to go without something. You know, um, to use a different illustration, say you were saving up for vacation, and you guys really deserved that vacation. You worked hard. You have a special place you wanted to, to go, and you were saving. it You had saved up and ready to book everything and plan that vacation when suddenly a family in the church their house burned to the ground they lost everything they're on the street practically and so god lays it on your heart to take that money and not go on vacation and use it to help them that's giving sacrificially it costs you it's costing you something number three under other principles of right giving Giving must be seen, listen, as a gift of grace toward others. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 8, verses 6 and 7. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. They made a promise to give to the saints in Jerusalem. Paul's getting the whole offering ready, and he wants to make plans not to go back to Jerusalem, but he wants to include them in Corinth because they promised they were going to help out. He didn't ask him to. He didn't command him to. He just said, look, here's what we're doing. If You want to help? You help. Oh, yeah, we want to help. So now he said, well, we haven't seen it yet. You're offering. So I just want Titus to go back one last time. If you want to be a part of this, we want you included. That's all. So Titus returned to you to encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted teachers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this, listen, gracious act of giving. Gracious act of giving. Grace, guys, means unmerited or undeserved blessings. Undeserved blessings. God always gives to us out of his grace. We don't deserve anything. Everything God gives to us, starting with our salvation, is a gift of his grace. And that's why we need to turn around and give to others out of grace. This means when we give to others, it must be listen, without any strings attached, it must be given freely, that's what grace means. Looking for nothing in return. Looking for nothing in return. Giving to those who can't pay us back. Now look, it's not wrong to give somebody a loan. Look, you're having a hard time, you need a, you need your car a car payment because you're you've you know, you gotta another job you're waiting to start, and so on, and right now you're a little tight, and then you need some money to make your car payment. Take this money, and whenever you get a chance, you can pay it back to me. That's not wrong. When, when we have done that over the years, we tell people, when well, you get it, you, you pay us back. And then I forget about it. I never bring it up. I, I just forget about it. Now, if they give it back to me, wonderful. If they don't, that's okay, too. Because God knows... We gave it from our hearts, okay? But often we give to people that can do for us in some way. Look, it's not wrong to give to family, of course. Families help each other. That's great. But we give to family oftentimes because they're family. We're connected. We have a vested interest in helping our family. Because let's be honest, if the day ever comes when we're on uh, hard times, Our family usually will step up and help us. So it's kind of a give and take thing with family, okay? (laughs) Not always, but that's the general idea. But how precious is it in the eyes of God when you give to somebody who is so poor they can't pay you back? You're not asking them to pay you back. What if God said, here's your salvation, you could pay me back slowly over eternity. I mean, good heavens. When God gives to us, it's always with no strings attached. Here you go. I love you. I so love the world. I gave my only begotten son. I'm not looking for anything in return. Just love me. Thank me. Appreciate me. I mean, that's the kind of giving God really looks at and is precious in his sight. But look, if, if a person's giving to God out of ulterior motives, it won't be accepted by God if it's, if it's an attempt to earn his love or his favor or to butter him up in some way. After all, you know, God, uh, I was nice to you. I gave to that family in the church. Now, you be nice to me. Here's what I would like you to do for me. See, this is, God, God doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, you give, God gives to us with no strings attached. He wants us to give to others with no strings attached. And I'll give you one more. And not everybody agrees with this i'm going to tell you my view and you're going to see guys on tv and radio uh, that will teach something different but here's what i believe new testament giving is not a matter of law it's a matter of love second corinthians 8 verse 8 paul said i am not commanding you to do this the new king james puts it i speak not by commandment it's not a law but i am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches look new testament giving is voluntary not mandatory voluntary not mandatory that's why i don't believe in tithing for the new covenant i don't believe christians are under tithing now there are pastors who i've heard say on Radio and teachings that, you know, we are definitely still under the law of tithing. What is tithing? Giving God the first 10%. That's basically what it is. Giving God the first 10% of all that belongs to you, right? And the 90 is yours to do what you want with. Okay. Um, Let me tell you why I don't believe in tithing for the new covenant. Tithing was a law under the old covenant for free men. Who earned a living and owned property, grew things, their livestock gave birth to different offspring and so on. They owned property, they, they earned income, and God commanded them to tithe. The first fruits of all that God was giving to them, all he's blessing them with. They were free men. As Christians, are we free men and women? No, we're slaves of Christ. He's our master. He's our master. All that we have has been given to us by him and belongs to him. That's why Paul calls us stewards in his writings. A steward was somebody who took care of another man's property. Joseph in Genesis, he was a steward of Potiphar's property. He didn't own anything Potiphar owned, but Potiphar placed him over his household as a manager. He was a steward. We are stewards of Jesus Christ. It all belongs to him. He's the master. And Paul did say in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, what do you have that hasn't been given to you by God? Now, if he has given it to you, why do you take credit for it as if it belongs to you? Besides that, guys, if we were still under the law when it came to giving to God, if the law of the tithe was still in operation, we'd have to do it. It's mandatory, right? It would be mandatory. But whenever something is mandatory, like giving, you're you're, you're probably going to do it because you don't want to be a lawbreaker. But you're not going to do it with much joy, if any joy. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he or she purposes in their heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Well, what do you mean? That sounds a little weird. Hilarious in the sense that I'm taking what the Bible calls unrighteous money, and I'm using it to build God's kingdom on the earth, and in return I get rewards waiting for me in heaven when I die. That strikes me as it's hilarious that I get to take what I can't keep to gain what I can't lose. And that's why God loves a hilarious giver. Because a person who is giving hilariously, their kingdom is the kingdom of God. That's their kingdom. That's where their heart is. That's where their treasure is. Their kingdom is not on the earth. They have to live on the earth, and they have to survive on the earth and work and so on. But this is not what they're working towards. They're not building a kingdom on the earth. They're building a kingdom of, and have God's kingdom, right? Right? Guys, and we'll do, we're done with this. We We must stop seeing our money as our money and start looking at everything we own as belonging to him. I will tell you, this takes a lot of walking with God. Money is where we live. It was Moody who said, I can tell more about a person's spirituality from looking at their checkbook than I can looking at their prayer book. Because they used to write their prayers out, longhand in those days. And boy, some people were great writers. And if you only read their prayer book, you would think they were Paul the Apostle living on earth once again. Oh my goodness, were they flowery and carry on senses and just, oh my goodness, they're so spiritual. Moody said, let me see your checkbook. Because I can tell how spiritual a person is by what they give to the kingdom of God on the earth. I can look at their checkbook and find out where their heart really is. Is it with God's kingdom or their kingdom? Just by what they spend. Look. Here's the ideal way to look at this. All right. It's not. Here's your 10% God. And the rest of the 90% is mine. It's all I have is yours Lord. Every penny belongs to you. How much do you want for your kingdom, this paycheck? And what can I keep for myself? That's really at the heart of proper giving, understanding who we are in Christ. He's our master. We're his slaves. Everything we have belongs to him. We're stewards of what is his. Guys, giving when it's done out of the right heart is not only good. It's a, it's a demonstration of God's character. Jesus said the world is going to know you belong to me by the way you love others. We see this in John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We see it in other places. i just give you one more. We'll close. 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. Where John says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need And shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in that person? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Talk is cheap. Actions really indicate what's going on in your heart. So it's a big subject, one that I seldom talk about. I don't talk about giving unless we come to a passage in Scripture where God talks about it. And I have done that be- I do that because it's been so abused. Last thing I don't want is people to come in here and, you know, I start talking about money, and here we go, another church looking for money. I'm out of here. That's why I've, I seldom talk about it. But it's an important subject, one we should understand. Because I'm cheating you guys possibly by not talking about it more. Because when you give to God with the right heart, he blesses you. We don't do it for that. But it's just the way it is. You cannot outgive God. So when you give to God out of a right heart, He always multiplies it back to you. Good measure pressed down, running over, shaking together and running over. God blesses you in return, if your heart is right. And we'll talk about this more next time. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege. We should be falling down hysterically laughing. We have the privilege of giving to you what you've given to us. It's yours. You gave it to us and you allow us to take some of it and give it right back to you, and you give us blessings in heaven for it. Lord, we thank you. Forgive us for being selfish. Forgive us, Lord, for giving out of the wrong motives at times. Lord, please work in our hearts that everything we do, everything we give to you, do for you and give to you, is motivated by a deep love for you and a desire to help others made in your image. Thank you, Lord, We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.